we started a series called Draw a Line in the Sand. And it's when culture and your convictions are, are coming to a collision course with one another. And we start deciding what is right and what is wrong and all of the things that we do as a people group. And Daniel, we've been studying the book of Daniel in this series, and in Daniel chapter 1, we get the story of how the northern tribes of Israel had abandoned their faith and started worshiping idols, and here comes the Babylonians as judgment. And these Babylonians take captive the youth, the young adults, the teenagers of the, the next generation, which is always wise if you're an enemy to, to deal with the next generation. And they take them back to Babylon. And in, inside of this group of people is four guys that become famous in the book of Daniel. One is Daniel himself, and then he has three friends, Anani uh, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was their Babylonian names because the first thing that happened when they got to Babylonia uh, was that they, they were renamed. Daniel, for example, example uh, was renamed Belshazzar. And Belshazzar literally means girl, protector of the king. And another one of the names, one of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it means humiliated. And, and so what they were trying to do is take their culture and take their identity, and they were trying to crush their former identities and make them something else. That's what the world will do to us if we allow. If we allow the identity of who we become to be decided by what's popular, sometimes we have to make a decision. Any parent in this house ever made a decision your kids didn't like? Say amen. And sometimes you got to make the right decision even if it makes somebody angry. Amen? I always tell people all the time, and if you're listening online, this is good parent tip number one. If your kid, it's okay to be friends with your kids, but if you ever have to decide to be their father or mother or their friend, be their parent. Because they got plenty of friends. They need somebody to help guide them. The second thing, because every time the enemy asks you to compromise, there's always a reward. And in chapter one, it says, if you become Babylonian, we'll let you eat from the king's table. We're going to give you the best food in all of the land. The things that the king eats, you get to eat. The problem is, is the dietary issues and restraints that God gave the Israelites. One of those constraints was you can't eat food offered to an idol. And everything on the king's table got offered to an idol. Isn't that amazing that this proves my point today about idolatry is that they're not alive. Because if they got all this great food and they didn't eat the first bite, the king had to eat. And... When we, they made a stand said, we're not going to eat that food. And, and God provided an am, amazing miracle for them by just eating vegetables and water. They become the strongest. They become the smartest. It was incredible. And God, they, they, stepped, they drew a line in the sand and said, I'm not doing this. Now, here's where we pick up. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the fiery furnace doesn't begin in chapter 3. It begins in chapter 2. In chapter 2, the king has this incredible dream, and it starts to trouble him, and he can't sleep, and he has this dream over and over again. It's about a statue with different kinds of, of, of representation, like the top, the head was gold, and the bottoms were steel and clay, and it just it troubled him. And he gathers all of his leaders together. He calls them magicians, sorcerers, soothsayers. Uh, what he was looking for was a true prophet. And, and so he was trying to get these people that, that he paid 
to tell the future and to do all these miraculous things. He was trying to get them to interpret his dream. So he gathers them all together and he says, hey, I've had a dream. I haven't been able to sleep. I need you to interpret it. They said, sure, tell us the dream. He said, I can't tell you the dream. Because if, if I tell you the dream, you're just going to make something up. And look at your neighbor, and since you can't touch them, and say, make something up. That's what they were going to do is make something up. And so he says, I'm going to ask you to tell me what I dreamed so I'll know the interpretation is true. They said, that's impossible. We can't do that. What mortal man can tell you what you dreamed in your own head? And, he, and it kind of made the king mad. And he says, well, I pay you to be these people. And he says, if you don't do it, I'll just kill you. Now, that's a motivation right there. You know, if I come in here and said, hey, tell me what I dreamed last night, and if you don't do it, we're just going to kill everybody. That, that'd trouble you, amen? And so they said, this is impossible. We can't do it. And he gets so enraged, he tells the, the guards, he says, you know, because Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were a part of this group, and they were going to be killed. And, and he said, okay, just go kill them. And Daniel goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Give me and my boys a couple days to pray. Let us get by ourselves with God and let us pray to the real true God. And sure enough, the king grants that permission. They actually pray, get, the, get what he dreams, and then the interpretation. And Daniel comes to him and says, hey, this is what you dreamed, and here's the interpretation. And he just starts going off by saying, man, there is no God like Daniel's God. There is no God like Daniel's God. And the, the leaders come to him and say, hey, king. We thought that the, uh, the reason that we were bringing them to Babylon was to make them Babylonian. But you're allowing these kids to make you Jewish. And so he decides, I'm going to show people stuff. I'm going to show my kingdom that we're going to be Babylonian. And part of the characteristics of being Babylonian was to worship multiple gods, to be an idolatrous country, a nation that worshiped idols. And so he gets an idea, I'm going to build a 90-foot statue, cover it with gold, and make everybody worship it just to prove to everybody I'm Babylonian and they're going to be Babylonian. And... I've never really preached this because the, the, I rush to the miracle, the fire. I get Jesus in the furnace. We're going to get him there. But the issue of cha Daniel chapter 3 is not the fire. It's the idolatry. It's the idols. Do you have an idol? And I wondered to myself this week when I was preparing for this, because this is the third time I've preached. I preached it to staff Tuesday, preached it in first service. I often wonder, anybody else wondered about an idol? That if I made this cup and I decided to worship the cup, that sounds kind of ridiculous. Why would I worship something I made? Because it wouldn't even exist without me. Anybody ever else have thought that? Say amen. So I'm like, God, why do people worship idols? That's dumb. He said, not as dumb as you think. And I'm like, okay, do tell. Anybody ever had a, a moment with God where he reveals something to you that you may not have had the understanding for? And I'm at that moment where I'm like, okay, God, tell me what is so attractive about idolatry? And he said, you know what? That this thing was 90 foot tall. It was impressive, looked impressive, covered with gold. Let's talk about the impressive part first. You know, just because it's big doesn't mean it's alive. It looked like a God, but couldn't do anything. It looked big, 15 times taller than the average man. It's giant. It's gold. You know what? People are still willing to pay for their idols. 
See, a lot of times well, the reason people don't want to commit to Christ and don't want to commit to uh, being a Christian is they think they got to give up too much. They got to pay too much. This guy, this king was willing to give gold, enough gold to put on a statue that he was building that couldn't do anything. You say, Pastor, kind of break this down. You know, I have a lot of people in my life that have worshipped idols. Oh, it's not a statue. Maybe it was a career. They put their career above everything and they finally got to the top. They got to the seat they wanted. They got to the title they aspired for and turned around. They had lost their family along the way. They had had to make compromises in their character. See, a lot of times people will have idols in their life, even good things like hobbies. You know what? I think it's God's plan for us to enjoy ourselves sometimes. Can anybody else say amen? I don't think there's anything sinful with me fishing a little bit. It's if I made fishing my God, that would, that would really be an issue with God. It's this moment where, you know what, even good things and sometimes even godly things can become an idol. It's when you say, Pastor, how can godly things become an idol when you're trying to worship God on your terms? It's when you're giving God mandates about how he should be God in your life instead of you, you're asking God to submit to you instead of you submitting to God. You know how many times I've said over 18 years that most Christians, because we gave the stats in week one, only 18% of all Christians make their decision based upon the Bible? That means 70, 82% of them decide that they know what's better than what's in this book? Only 18%. Man, that's startling to me. And so what happens is, is that when they start doing godly things, see, I can make this an idol when I'm more concerned about preaching than I am worshiping. Then when I'm more concerned about speaking and being on a stage and having a microphone and having the life, if I put that ahead of my personal relationship with God, it's an idol. Even a good thing can become an idol. And all of a sudden I ask myself, well, God... What is so attractive about idolatry? He said, because you get to decide where to put it. You get to, the, the essence of idolatry is whatever you're worshiping, your God, little g, you get to decide where it belongs in your life. And so you get to put it right where you want it. He got to decide, I want a 90-foot gold statue right here. Him being in control. And a lot of times we want God to meet us while we're still in control. God, I need you to do this and do that and do this and do that and do this and do that and do this and do that. God, why are there so many hungry people in the world? If you were God and you were concerned about all these people, why is there hunger in the world? So you want God to perform something like, hey, wipe out all the hunger and I'll worship you. It ever dawned on you that he may want to use you to relieve some of the hunger of the world? Let me scare you for a moment, just for a second. Online, buckle up in your living rooms. Here we go. You know 570,000 people globally have died of COVID-19? Isn't that scary? 526,000 people have died of, of unclean water. 540-something thousand died of malaria. 1.2 million died of alcoholism the same time frame. 22 million died of an abortion. Same time, we stopped the world for none of that. Four million died of cancer. 
You say, Pastor, what's your point? I'm asking you, when, what does God have to perform? And if he has to perform anything for you to worship him, then you're trying to meet God on your terms instead of you just starting to worship him. And some of the things you have issue with, he may be wanting to anoint and enable and empower you to help solve some of the issue. You know what? We can solve unclean water. You know what? There's a vaccine for malaria, but some countries can't afford it. So you get to decide where it goes. And then the second thing he revealed to me about idolatry is that they don't talk back. Now that's, that's attractive. A God that don't talk back? You mean he's not going to tell me what to do? He's not going to tell me who to do it with? He's not going to tell me how I have to act. He's not going to tell me thou shalt not steal. He's not going to tell me any of those things. Because you know what? The real God has been speaking from page one of this book by meeting in the garden in the cool of the day. He was speaking before the world was made because he opened up his mouth and created the world and everything in it. He's a speaking God. And so when we have a God that we can position wherever we want to, and we have the responsibility of that, if we have an idol, it never tells us anything. Let's try it. Let's make this a fake idol. This is our microphone idol. What time is it? Oh, I can't answer. Because it's not alive. It's not real. It's something that can be moved. It's 11.53. I got like 10 minutes to finish this sermon. Who should I marry? Oh, so you can't talk, so I'll decide. That'll get you in a lot of trouble. There used to be an old country song, I thank God for unanswered prayers, because I thought that there was at least five people that I was supposed to marry before I met Michelle. And I'm thankful to the, the God up above that is real and speaks that I didn't marry any of those other people because I would have been the wrong person. You ever notice that you don't like when God tells you something? Most of the time? Like, I mean, I dated a few girls. I'm, uh, Michelle's gone, I think. She's somewhere. I don't see her here, so I'm safe for the moment. Keep me safe. But man, I mean, I got involved in some relationships and, and I, would, I, I would act like I would pray because I wasn't living right. But I, I wanted to say I, I conferred with God every now and then. And I said, hey, you know, this girl's beautiful. Hey, yeah, she's not the one, Dave. No, 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 no. I, you missed the part where she's beautiful. Yeah, but she's not the one. And I, you ever notice that you could just do whatever you want to because you have self-will? And I said, nah, I know better on this one. And then my life would end up in a train wreck and I would, be a, I would have a broken heart and, he, and I would go to God and say, God, heal my broken heart. He said, I tried to before you got in this mess. I told you she wasn't the one. Because let me tell you something. I walked into a little bitty old church in, in Dunedin, Florida, looked up there in the, in, on the stage and there was this beautiful woman singing a song and I said, I want to go out on a date with her and I heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit say, she's the one. She was be more beautiful than any woman I've ever dated in my life and after 32 years, she's still the most beautiful woman on the face of this planet. You know, you say, Pastor, what does that really mean? A lot of you come back to my office like with a receipt, like I'm Walmart. Like, 
Pastor, I know you married us, but I, I'd like to exchange. I'm like, no, man. There's a no return policy here. You told me God said for you to marry that person. Let's just stick with them. Let's figure it out. So they can't talk back. And you think that that would be so attractive. Like if this idol could do anything, like I can rescue you from hell, but I won't talk to you. Man, that sounds so enamoring. But you know what? Hell's, you know, I didn't worship God for fire insurance. Because sometimes before I got to hell, I got to go through some hell. And my life starts to fall apart. And I don't want a God that cannot talk. I want to run to the real God where I can get in his presence. And in his presence, I can find out the provision. I can find out, God, what are we going to do? The doctor told me I'm not going to make it. What say you? Because I believe in what you say more than what the world's telling me. So we're going to put our idol away for a moment. So the king has this idea. I'm going to, I got this thing built. Let's have dedication service. He calls for all the leaders of Babylon, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've got to come. And now he's going to tell them, this is the deal. I got our band ready. And I need our band to get ready. And all those that will go, we're going to sing that same song in just a minute that we sung just a little bit ago, I think. I think they're able to pull that off. So just, just the band members need to go to the back and get ready. And so he says, I got the band ready. And this is what we're going to do. When the band plays, I need everybody in the kingdom, all the leaders of the provinces, to bow down to this God. So the band strikes the note. Whatever the music was, man, here they go. Bam. You say, Pastor, why? where were all the other Israelites? See, they had compromised a long time ago. That's why they got to Babylon. They had become comfortable with bowing to other gods, even though the book of Exodus tells us twice, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The book of Deuteronomy says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, for I am a jealous God. But they had become accustomed to bowing to idols, so they just bowed down. Three kids. 18 years old. They're probably 18, 19 years old. They got to Babylon when they were 15. It took three years for them to become in leadership. So they're between 18 and 19, and there they stand. The king's people says, hey, you're not bowing. You can't remain who you are. you got to become Babylonian. Bow. See, this is the thing that you got to understand about idols. Your idolatry. Do you know that Nebuchadnezzar never told them not to worship their God? He only told them to add a God. I'm not telling you you can't do it, just add another one to it. Because he knew the principle that God is a jealous God and thou shalt. That's why some people have in this building, they have problems with God. Because they want God to do some stuff for them, even though they've got other gods in their life. And the God that says he's jealous will say, hey, if you got them, you don't need me. I'll just wait here till you get to the position you only need one God. And I'll become your God. And so, he didn't tell them you can't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. No, he said worship them, but worship this one now. And they said, no, 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 we can't do that. And and, and so they say, if you don't do this, we're going to report you to the king. How far do your convictions go? That's what I asked the staff this week. How far do your convictions go? Because I'm going to preach this, the, the, not the next half, because you'd go, oh my God, we're going to be here forever. No, just the next point. 
What happens in your life when somebody you know or you gets cancer? And you go, God, I pray for this person to be healed in Jesus' name. And you know what? They still have cancer. What happens then? How far are you willing to take your convictions? What happens if if he decides to heal them in heaven instead of heal them the way you want them to be healed here on earth? Because how many of you know there's not no sick people in heaven? Nobody's got cancer in heaven. No, 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 no cancer in heaven. But sometimes they get healed in heaven instead of here the way we want them because we're, we want people that we love to stay close to us. But will you still worship them if they go to heaven? Will you still worship the God that you prayed to? How far do your convictions go? Because good intentions, we've preached a false gospel that said God knows your heart and your good intentions are enough. No, they're not. I'm going to preach that the rest of this sermon. Because what happens in our lives is we, get to, we have to finally draw a line in the sand. What's right? What's wrong? What's right? What's wrong? What am I, how am I going to live? Am I going to live righteously or am I going to live for myself? What are we going to do with this thing? Yeah. And so they, get, they have to go. The king gets so angry. He says, bring them to me. I'll make them worship the God. I'm the God king. I'll make them do it. He, he tells them, now I've been good to you boys. I'll put you in leadership. I've not killed you. You're prisoners and I haven't killed you. And I'm really benevolent. I'm really trying to convince everybody. If you'll just become Babylonian right now, I don't care what you do at the house. Worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when you're not here. But right now, right here, you're going to worship, and this is what I'm going to do. I like you, boys. I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to get the band together. It's an inconvenience. I'm going to have to pay them double, but it's okay. I love you guys. I like you guys. I just need you to do what I tell you to do, and I need you to do it. When I tell them to play, this is your last chance. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. Now their convictions are really getting to the forefront. I like these guys. You ever just like somebody in the Bible that you read about? I like these guys. Because so many times, we, when we face our convictions, we want to do Christian stuff. Let me pray about that for a minute. Let me get at least five people to hold hands in a circle. We think that that's, that's the universal symbol of, of binding our faith together. If we, can just get, if we can get enough Christians in a room to, bind, to get a circle, I'm not telling you not to pray in a circle. I'm just telling you, isn't it kind of ironic that all the time we want to grab somebody's hand? Sometimes you don't need to be, grab anybody's hand because you don't need to pray about it. Because the reason you don't need to pray about it is he's already addressed it. No other gods. You don't have to pray about that. And I like these guys. They just interrupt the king and say, hey, don't worry about the band. We're not going to kneel. You did hear, I'll kill you. Yeah, we're not going to kneel. The Bible literally says, read chapter 2 and chapter 3. When you go home, it literally says, it enraged the king. And he said, I'm going to show all of Babylon your example. And what I'm going to do is I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to kill you better than I thought about killing you before. He tells the, the guards, heat the furnace up seven times hotter. Heat it up. How far are you willing to go with these convictions? Because good intentions are not enough. Remember I said that. And so what happens is, is we think God should show up because we, can you imagine these kids? He tells them, tie them up in a rope, heat the thing up seven times hotter. We're going to kill them in front of everybody. Everybody that come to worship the idol, now we're going to do this on the side. They're going to watch him die and then everybody will know they better do what I say. The problem is, is these kids had already told them, our God is, he says, what kind of God can rescue you from my hand? This situation. They said, God, uh, King, let me just correct you here before you kill us. 
First of all, God can rescue us from your hand. But if he decides not to, I'm still not bowing to the idol. That's when you keep praying for your friend or your family member to get healed. But you're going to sing your song to the Lord no matter whether they get healed on this side of heaven or the, or, or the other side of heaven. When God doesn't do what you want him to do, he's still worthy of your praise. He's still worthy because we're not worshiping him because of what he can do. We're worshiping him for who he is. So now they're all tied up and they're being carried. Now, can you imagine what's going through the mind of an 18 or 19-year-old? All right, God, I did this for you. Where are you at? You should have killed the guards when they were tying my arms up. No, 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 no. Sometimes you got to take it further than your good intentions. The closer these guards get, the hotter it's becoming. They get all the way to the door. Shouldn't God have shown up by now? If he was going to rescue him, why didn't he rescue him on the outside? He was waiting for a moment. See, sometimes you're waiting for God to do it when they tie you up. Sometimes you're waiting for God to do it when they're carrying you to, the, to the, your destruction. And you don't want to go through anything, but you hold fast to your convictions. And you know what? It's so ironic that the people that are throwing them in, that heat it up, they get killed by the flames. Where's God at? He was inside the fire. And so many times we miss our miracle because when it gets hot and we have to have a conviction that says, I'm going to draw the line in the sand right here, and it's unpopular. I had one of those things. Before I preached the end of this, I had one of those situations. I can't give you the details. I can't give you the names. But I had two people. They're about my age. You know, young, young spring chickens a lot of life ahead of them and they want they they got engaged and man there's complications when you're our age and you've lived 50 something years on earth you've accumulated a lot of stuff baggage junk <laughs> physically and internally emotionally and they're trying to sort through all this and they get a bright idea i tell you what we'll put one of our house they're not going to get married to the spring we're going to put one of our houses on the market. It's a pandemic. We're going to put a crazy number on it. And we're just going to just, you know, and we'll just start doing some of this stuff. And by the time spring comes, we'll have to lower the price. It sold in three days. My wife's not here to edit me. So I'm going to have to be careful with the Holy Spirit here. Because <laughs> she normally sits there and goes, you know, calm down a little bit. So here's the thing. They now have to move in together. They, they, they start getting close. They're, they're trying to still, they, get, they invite God into their relationship and he starts to convict them and they feel a little convicted over living together. I said, they, they, and so they come and met with me and they said, hey, this is the reason, you know, we didn't plan this. This is how it went down, yada, yada, yada. You know, it, it just makes good sense for us. We don't want to, you know. And I said, we can solve this. You sleep here, you sleep there. Everything's cool, right? Not, well, you know, and here's the good part about being 50-some. You, you, they love each other. They want to, they want to, they, they want to. <laughs> how do I say? They, they want to they wanna be husband and wife. 
Everybody got me, right? But they have to make a decision. And they come to me and say, Pastor, is there anything in this book here about, the, about what we're going through? I said, yes. You, got a, you can have a public celebration, but if you want to do and handle your flesh correctly, let's get married now. Wait a minute. That's not popular. Pastor, you know, the fi- I, whoa, finances. Men, let me tell you something. If you're about to marry somebody, do not talk about finances like it costs too much for her. No, don't do that. It'll get you killed. It'll set your marriage up on a, on a, on a fragile foundation. I went to Virginia, lived in a single wide trailer with heat in one room. I went to work at Lowe's for $4.25. My mustache would freeze to my face. I love Florida, but she was worth it. So they said, Pastor, we'll get married. This week, right here, I saw two people my age come together. And it, to, to my knowledge, it might be the most beautiful wedding I've ever officiated. Because they weren't doing it because they had to. They were honoring God first and expecting Him to honor them second. And they didn't have anybody in attendance. It was just us three. And then God showed up. It's something when God comes to your wedding. And they started saying vows to one another and they started crying and realizing that they were honoring him by what they were saying and that if they loved him correctly, they would always love each other correctly. And God done something absolutely miraculous. That's just for free. So now we have these kids getting thrown into the fire and they're falling into this fire. They finally hit the ground. Bam. Wonder which one of them, it doesn't say, so I get to kind of use my imagination. Wonder which one of them looked at the other and said, Hey, is this fire doing anything to you? I don't feel nothing. I know it's real because I don't have any ropes on my hands anymore. It burnt the ropes up. But there's a reason, wonder why it's not burning us up. And then in my imagination, I hear somebody over here go, mm. I've been waiting on you. See, you could have given up over there and you would have had wonderful intentions and you could have said, you know what? I tried, God, but you were willing to go all the way to the fire. And the reason it's not burning you up is because I'm in the fire with you. So when the enemy declares he's going to kill you, destroy you, and take away the things that mean something to you, you say, you may be the, the source of fire, but I've got a God that will get in the fire with it. The thing you decided that would burn me up, he's going to keep me from it. Amen. And I don't know what they, wouldn't you imagine that you would worship just a little bit if you saw Jesus in the Old Testament in the flesh? I mean, if it happened right now in this building, if this building just caught on fire, none of us were, were on fire and Jesus was standing in the middle. You know what we would do? We would like, oh man, worship. They sung the perfect song. Take me through the water. Walk me through the fire. I mean, I, mean, I, I know that some of you, you'd just stand up and go, walk Take me to the water. Take me through the water. Not me, man. I'm not burning up. I'm like, take me through the water. Keep me, walk me through the fire. Do what you've been famous for. 
A lot of times we can't see miracles because people aren't willing to go all the way anymore. We're, we, we're, we're going to compromise when it gets tough. But if you'll go all the way to the fire, you'll find that there's a God in the fire with you. Because this is the incredible thing. Pastor, I wish the world would just turn to Christ. You stand for something they might. Woo, that's good preaching. Online, that's good preaching. Slap two people in your own, own living room and tell them, hey, that's good preaching. You know why? Because the king had a bird's eye view of what was happening in the furnace. And he goes, hey, guys. He said, didn't we kill them good? No, man, I'm seeing. Didn't we throw just three guys in there? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Yeah, I see four. And the force as of the Son of God. See, this is the cool part. They couldn't go in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't allowed in the fire. He had to call to them in the fire. Hey, when you guys get through worshiping in there with who I think is the Son of God, the real God, my, my statue can't do none of that. Will you please come out and tell me about it? I know what I'd have done. I'm fleshly. I'm, I got a little bit of pride. I'd, I'd say, all right, wait a minute. Take me to the water. Take me to the fire. Do what you've been famous for. We talk about the fame of our God. He's waiting for people to make him famous. Man, and, and it, they come out. This is the cool part. You read this when you go home. They come out. And the king that said, what kind of God can keep you from me? Now says... Let there be an edict written right now. It becomes law this second that no one can speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if they do, we'll tear them apart. And let all Babylon know there is no God like their God. Isn't it wonderful that we have an opportunity to walk out in the world with our life and if we just walk the convictions of this book right here that somebody's going to say, hey man, why do you do what you do? You say, Pastor, are you trying to judge people that don't do what the Bible says? No, I'm telling us, love them. But don't participate with them. Say, man, I love you on this side of the line, and I'm praying for you to transfer. Because the moment life happens to you, you're going to run to your little frail idol, and you're going to say, hey, my sister, she got cancer. Oh, I liked you. I liked you. God, I'm going to preach this thing. I liked you when you weren't telling me how to live, but I need you to speak to cancer right now. And you can't talk. And then they're going to look for somebody that's on the other side of the line that says, where's your God that's real? Where's your God that can speak? Because I need him because my sister's got this. Can he speak over her? Yes, he can. So church, I'm asking, how far are you willing to take the convictions? How far are you willing to be unpopular for a moment so the world could see what God can do? Or does it feel good just to be politically correct? I've told you guys the truth about God. He's not white. He is, <laughs> he's not American. And he certainly isn't Republican. He's God. And if you, because <laughs> those, those three things there mean a lot to a lot of people. I'm patriotic. 
but I don't care how American I am. It can't forgive me of my sins. I don't care how Republican I am. I, it can't forgive me of my sins, but I know one that can. He is the one that met in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he didn't quit doing miracles in the end of the book of the, of the Bible, but he's still doing them today. Can somebody say amen? So would you stand to your feet? Before we do this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. But before I pray, I'm gonna remind you, I told them that I have a lot of friends. Please go to the back table, go online, go to that link if you're online. Please sponsor one of these kids. Make a difference. You want God to solve hunger? Let him use you. You say, Pastor, I can't afford it. Man, I wonder what he would do with a little faith. But that's another sermon. But why don't we pray right now? I, normally I have everybody bow their head and close their eyes. Let's do that for just a second. Let's just everybody close their eyes. If your life has been surrounded by an absence of a true God and you want to change things today, maybe this is your moment. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here, here to invite you. I'm inviting you into a relationship that I can personally say is the greatest adventure of my life. And if it's you that says, Pastor, I want to start a relationship with the God of the Bible. I want to start a relationship with the God that you testify about. I want him to become my God, the real God in my life. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to accept the price that he paid at the cross and I'm going to have the power of the authority of his resurrection. I want to pray with you right now and I want to celebrate with you. And if you're one of those that want to get saved today, would you just raise your hand? Is there any, thank you for that hand. Thank you. Is there another? Raise it where I can see it. Thank you. Any others? Let's pray. Father, right now, I ask you, for the God that did all of that stuff in the, on the pages of the Bible, is still God enough to be alive in our lives right now. And that person that raised their hand, right now they are by faith saying, God, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. The idols that I've put in my life, they don't speak. They're not. They, I need you. And you're forgiving them of their sins and you're taking their guilt and their shame as far as the east is from the west. And right now, God, you are creating a new creation in their life. And they are forever going to be held in your hand. They are now no longer guilty, but now they've been adopted into the family of God. And I give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Before we worship, how many of you need a miracle? How many of you need some stuff going on in your life that seems to be impossible? Raise them up high where I can see. Look around you. Look, I didn't have anybody. Look how many hands are up. I got both mine up. I need some stuff. Why don't we pray with the same confidence and say, you know what, God, we're going to pray believing you can do anything. And then we're going to worship like the answer was yes. Okay? Father, right now, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to move upon us no matter what that hand represented. I believe in an impossible working God that can do anything. 
whether they are in this building or online worshiping from their living room. Father, whatever is needed, whatever miracle, whatever impossibility seems to confront them in their soul, I ask you right now, Father, to be God, that that God that can quench the flames, walk them through the water, do what you've been famous for in our lives right now. In Jesus' name, now. Everybody say amen. Now, I'm gonna do what Pastor Gray did. If you're watching online, stand up in your living room. Don't stand up if you're driving. But I want you to pretend you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you just fell into, you took your convictions all the way to a fire and you met the God of the universe in the fire. How would you worship? How would you worship if he just answered what you raised your hand for? Would you just go, oh, praise the Lord. I'm not gonna ask them to sing it multiple times. We're gonna do it twice. After twice, you're, I'm not gonna say anything else. You can consider yourself dismissed. But I want you to worship like you want him to be famous through you. God bless you.